KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. Brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for AT Explained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Hello! Welcome to the fifth episode of This Song, the podcast that asks artists to tell us about those songs that changed them in some way. Because you know it. There are these songs in your life, and they stand out like markers. You hear them, and suddenly something shifts inside you, and the world is never the same. I'm Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode, I got to sit down with Chaz Bundick, a.k.a. Toro y Moi, and Gordon Mokes, who played bass with Block Party and now plays with Young Legionnaire. He also has a podcast called Exploded Drawing, which is very cool. You should check it out. And both of these guys told me about music that really opened them up to the possibilities of where they could take their own music. First, we'll hear my interview with Chaz Bundick. He goes by Toro y Moi, also Les Sins, and um, he came into Studio 1A at KUTX and did a live session, and afterwards he sat down and chatted with me, even though he'd been on the road for five weeks and Austin was his last stop and he didn't have to do it. I really appreciated that he did. He has a new Toro y Moi record out called What For, and it's really a return to a more guitar-centered sound for him, but he's always worked with a lot of samples. And you're about to hear the record that showed him that he could. So here is Chaz Bundick. Hey, I'm sitting here with Chaz Bundick. Yes. He is known by many stage names, Toro Imwa and Le Sin. Is it Le Sin or Le Sins? With an S. With an S. Okay, Le yes. Sins. I thought so. So um, are you ever going to do a record where it's just like, Chaz. <laughs> Maybe like when I'm like 50. Right on. Do like a country record called Chaz. That would be good. I think I'll, I'll look forward to that record yeah, for sure. It's going to be cool. Well, um, I, you know, I like to ask artists about important songs in their lives. Not like what's your favorite song, yeah. but like what uh, is like more of a transformational song. And right. usually most people have like a book full, but yeah, I can, mean, yeah, can you think of one in particular? Um... Yeah, I mean, there's albums. There's more just albums for me. Is that a... If, oh, yeah, totally, I, totally. Um, so when I first listened to Jay Dilla's Donuts, mm -hmm. that really did um, change the way I, I, I listen to music. Just because... Uh, I've never really gave sampling a chance mm -hmm. um, as a listener and a, as a musician. I just sort of was like, oh, that's stealing. That's not That's not fair. Is it? But it's totally a different thing if you can do it creatively, um, especially the way Jay Dilla did it. So, How, Were you playing music at the time when you heard the Jay Dilla record? Yeah, I, I was just playing guitar and keys. I never really got into electronic music until after um, I, I got that album. And the main reason I got that album is because someone gave me um, Fruity Loops, mm -hmm. and um, 
They're like, yeah, like people make it hip hop beats on it and stuff. Like I had no idea what it was. I thought it was just strictly just record audio, audio yeah. or something. So like, uh, yeah, I just got into sampling, and then that that's sort of the album that did that transformation for me. It kind of opened up the door. How old yeah. were you when you heard it for the first time? I was time? like eighteen or seventeen. And you'd been playing music for a while by then. Yeah, or? I had. I've been playing um, guitar since I've. I was 12. Oh, whoa. Really? Yeah, and playing in bands since I was like 15, and then I played piano since I was eight. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've been playing music a long time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then when you heard it, like, how did it make you, did it make you feel a certain way? Was it like, oh, this feels as good as like listening to an actual rock record or a yeah. record where people are actually playing? I mean, I, I still don't listen to that much hip hop, but um, yeah, it's like... I never really listened to hip hop then, and I, I like kind of, you know, jumped into his whole discography after hearing about it. And so, um, I was, yeah, I was just completely immersed in it. Oh wow! Did you immediately like go to Fruity Loops and like? I will figure out how to operate you. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I, I got to figure out sampling. Then, <laughs> <laughs> so how were those early attempts? Was it like? Uh, it was kind of cheesy sounding. Yeah. I mean, pretty sure you know. Uh, <laughs> a lot of artists' sketches are pretty funny looking at first. Do you think that when you first started to do that, were you trying to recreate the Jay Della record? No, I was just, um, I was just looking at it from a production standpoint. Sort of like, oh, I like how compressed that is, or I like how this is panned, or I like how he did the stereo imaging on like a certain sample. That's um, that's mainly what I listen for when I listen to music. It's just the production, the sonics of something. Do you produce uh, your own stuff? Oh yeah, oh. I um, yeah. So I produce uh all my albums. Oh, and I didn't. Then, yeah, I wasn't aware of that actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of my thing. I like nerd out on just like sound. Don't your ears get tired? Like, yes. Yeah, totally. That's a it's like a constant ringing in my my head. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a that's very that's that's like an incredible closeness to your music to write it and perform it, but then also to produce it is yeah. I I, mean, I really find it therapeutic and it's very transparent. Like people know that, like fans know that, not a lot of hands have like touched the music. It's not going through so many stages. It's just. Um, an idea, and then I, I produce it, and then I mix it, and then it's out. Wow, which is nice. That's really nice. And you probably did you do that before you got in? Before you were like turned on to um, sequencing and sampling, were you producing your own music then? Um, yeah, I mean, I was just doing bedroom recording, and that's what I'm still doing now. Right. On. Technically, just nicer stuff. Are you still using Fruity Loops? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking oh, yeah. with me about thank that. Oh, yeah, thank you. So are, is it really, my question is, would there be Toro y Moi if it weren't for Jay Dilla? Uh, Probably not. Yeah. Excellent. Jay Dilla saved my life. <laughs> hey. Right on. Good music does. Thanks. Well, thanks a lot. You know, I always love hearing why musicians do what they do. Like for some, it's because they love to write and others do it because they have to perform. And Chaz Bundick, he's got this deep love 
of producing and recording that's kind of at the center of what he loves about music. And I think that's really cool. And like I said, his new record is more guitar-driven, so even though I wanted to play Empty Nesters, the single which we've been playing a ton of here at KUTX, I chose Fact Shadow off of Causers of This because you can hear how much fun he's having with samples. And also, I had not actually been hip to the Jay Dilla record, and this gave me a chance to go and check out Donuts and other Jay Dilla compositions, and it's really great stuff, so... Thank you, Toro Imwa. Next up, I sat down with Gordon Mokes. Gordon is a bass player and a songwriter. He played with Block Party. Now he's playing with Young Legionnaire, who he had been playing with concurrent with Block Party. He also has started a podcast called Exploded Drawing, where he chats with people about one of their favorite 90s records. And he invited me to come on his podcast which was very exciting because I know the 90s are kind of in vogue now and it's very possible that someone who was maybe, say, born in the 90s or, heaven forfend, the 2000s um, would have a favorite 90s records. But I was a teenager in the 90s. It was that time when I was just beginning to choose my own music and figure out what spoke to me. So it was very exciting for me to choose a record from that time and talk about it And I chose PJ Harvey's Dry, which, by the way, you should go listen to because it really holds up. And it was really perfect. It kind of encapsulated a bunch of stuff that I was feeling at the time. Anyway, enough about me. Um, You should go to Exploded Drawing and hear it. And afterwards, I asked Gordon if he would uh, do a segment for my podcast. And he said yes. So thank you, Gordon. And he talked about a song Um, really like a record that inspired him to expect more from music. So here is Gordon Mokes. Yeah, I I had to scratch my head a bit, not because I couldn't remember, but I couldn't decide which of very many songs to, to pick. But I've picked this song called Yes by the Manic Street Preachers, which is, it's the first track on their, what is seen as kind of their record which is the Holy Bible from 94 so how old were you when you heard the trick of it you were I was 17 going on 18 yeah and I'd been listening to a lot of you know, what you now call sort of pre-Britpop, the kind of indie stuff from the early 90s, whether it was like My Bloody Valentine or Blur. That was kind of most of what I listened to at that time. And then this Manic Street Preachers record came along, which is a little, it's a lot more kind of angular and, and post-punky and a little bit kind of dark and rock sounding. It's almost like a bit American rock meets like Public Image Limited or something. It's it's quite, it's quite in your face, this sound. 
and it, I immediately like you know I stood up to attention when I heard this. Was it almost like you'd been waiting to hear something that like kind of came at you in a different way than this smoother, more poppy? Yeah, indie I rock think. That you've been listening to. Yeah, I'd been waiting for something that was a bit, was more direct, mm-hmm. but also the power was as much in the guitar sound as the lyrics and as, and the lyrics to this whole record remained to me like the best set of lyrics I've ever seen written down and in fact I remember the I think it was, it was either the melody maker or the enemy actually ran a double page spread when this record came out of the lyrics as an advert for the record it was just the lyrics so what was it about the lyrics that kind of are you a lyric listener usually? Is that uh, one of the things you do when you listen to songs? I think when this record came out, if I wasn't a lyric listener, I became a lyric listener through this record because it's so, you know, it's for me the only contemporary of this record is In Utero and, and that's another lyric record for me. It's not just a big powerful rock record, but like you can sit and read the lyric of In Utero and go, wow, there's some really powerful imagery and ideas. Holy Bible is, is just absolutely shot full of ideas. It's an ideas record. It's, you know, it's very kind of, I mean, it's been described as a bleak record. There's a lot of kind of self-harm that's kind of insinuated in this record. And of course, the guy who wrote the lyrics famously disappeared and supposedly threw himself off a bridge. So there was this big question mark about that guy because his body was never found but i did not know that he, he was a famous like self-harmer he you know he famously cut his arms open for, for the enemy journalist and there are pictures of him with his arms sort of like bleeding um uh, but but the record's really not not about that it's about it's an outward look on the world it's about the politics of the time it's about the de- it's about capital punishment it's about power of of at the time it's about responsibility and like social duty and self-determination it's about so many things this record and the opening salvo of the record is kind of this mixture of like outward looking imagery and then this inward kind of bitterness and it's it immediately grabs you this stuff is that something that you had been kind of like feeling inside but not been able to quite like voice? Because when you're 17, 18 years old, you kind of are starting to realize the injustice of the world, the ridiculousness of the political system. Yeah, I, I definitely was looking for something that, that articulated what I, what I couldn't. You know, it's partly being a teenager and being that angst that is sort of there in varying doses for anyone who's 17. Like you don't really get your, you don't understand yourself. You you feel you can't express yourself, and of course, rock music has always been a great channel for anyone who feels like that. 
So yeah, it, it, it expressed something I couldn't, but it expressed so more than that. The, one of the most powerful things about it is it's so informed. It's so, it's been written by somebody who's read books and the references are f almost like out of um, like history mod modules. It's very intelligent and that's inspiring as well. If you know, you're learning at the same time as rocking out. So it really opened your eyes to the possibility of what you could do with music. Yeah, it covers, covers the range. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't enough for me to just be singing about the, the shade of the sky at that time or, you know, anything to... I was put off by anything glib. And actually, there's a lot of glib music made at that time. So for me, the Holy Bible was... It was like a punk record that came out of nowhere. Um, like young people politicized again, not interested in listening to kind of washy music. They wanted to hear and and say something with the music. And yeah, I, I totally aspired to that, but it also spoke to this kind of angst that I had in myself because it's very angst living record. You know? Like, was that kind of like, I am going to try to approach the Holy Bible or this is the kind of music that I want to, you know? Well, I suppose, I think the thing about the Mannix is that the bass player wrote some of the lyrics, not all of the lyrics. And so that was kind of inspiring. I wanted to play bass. I didn't really want to be a songwriter. I wanted to play bass in a band, but I wanted to be able to write lyrics as well. So that was definitely like the template for me. There wasn't another record I could think of where the bass player was contributing lyrics. Yeah, you don't really hear of bass right. players writing uh, a lot. I know, like, in Rush, it does, doesn't the drummer write all the lyrics or something, but I wasn't a big Rush fan. Yeah, so it just kind of, it, it spoke to the, to the scope of what you could do as a rock musician. You know, it wasn't just about, like, playing along with people. It's about having ideas and not being afraid of putting your ideas at the front of the music. Yes, and you know, I never really listened to Manic Street Preachers, so much like Jay Dilla, this was an eye-opening conversation for me as well. Um, and what you're listening to now beneath me is Young Legionnaire, the band that Gordon Mooks plays with. I thoroughly enjoyed talking with him, not just about Manic Street Preachers, but also about PJ Harvey's record Dry on his podcast, Exploded Drawing. And if you want to hear that session, you can go to explodeddrawing.com. Net. We talked for well over an hour, and it was really nice to dive into this record, and it was just a really influential record for me when I was a young woman, and it voiced a lot of things that I was struggling to find the words for, so I loved talking about it. And that's it. We have completed another episode of this song. This song is a production of KUTX. It was produced and edited by myself, Elizabeth McQueen, with additional help from David Sanger. The interview with Chaz Bundick was recorded by Cliff Hargrove, and the interview with Gordon Mokes was recorded by Gordon. 
Thanks to Peter Babb for helping make this song happen. And in the next episode, we'll have the Johns from They Might Be Giants interviewed not by me, but by Bill Childs, who also has an amazing kids music show called Spare the Rock. It's on Sunday nights at 6 on KUTX. It's also on a bunch of different radio stations across the country. You should check it out. And of course, our theme song is Mahout by Austin's own hardproof Afrobeat. Check them out if you have a chance. So that's it. Thanks a lot for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org. And we'll see you there.